I love a beautiful lawn. You love a beautiful lawn. Everybody loves a beautiful lawn, but they don't love how long it takes and how difficult it can be. And that is where True Green comes into play because it's the easiest and most affordable way to get that beautiful lawn. Let's be real. You've got plenty of other things to do in your free time than focus on your lawn care. So let True Green take care of all of that hard work while you get to do everything else that you want to do like go play golf. Here's what you need to do. Visit truegreen.com. Okay. It allows you to do you let them do the lawn care. And if you visit truegreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, that is all guaranteed. You can trust true green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. It's truegreen.com. Get started now. Freaking first cut. Golly. Welcome to the First Cut Podcast. I'm Rick Gaiman, and this is your round four recap for this week's Century Tournament of Champions. And joining me to break it all down, Greg Ducharme is here. Greg, oh, I'm tired after watching that. <laughs> Back at it again, and uh, nothing really changed from yesterday. It was more birdies. More birdie opportunities, more great shots, more great play. It was um, it, it was fun to watch. Mark Immelman is here. Mark, uh, if you like scoring, I've I've got a I've got a leaderboard for you, my friend. Oh my goodness gracious! How's it, boys? Yeah, uh, two things for me as I watched this event. First off, it occurred to me how much I love the Hawaii swing, and the one time I got to go over there was just so awesome. And the images on TV were out of this world. But then you get a golf course like this, which is designed around the wind, and then the wind lays down, and you've had rain coming in. It's going to be a bonanza. And But even so, I mean, it's it's absolutely insane where you're shooting 20 under par and you're finishing well down the field. So, so yeah, they, we expected the scoring to be low, but what those guys did up top was just superhuman. Yeah, we're going to get to, obviously, Cam Smith winning this golf tournament and the way it all played out. But, Greg, we've talked about it. Uh, now, three days in a row, historic scoring. We've never seen anybody get to even 32 under par. That's what Matt Jones did. He finished third. Rom at 33 under and Cam Smith at 34 under. So Matt Jones sets the PGA Tour scoring record for a tournament. It lasts about 15 minutes until the next group rolls through. This was not only a display of great golf, but a course that did, ha, had zero defense and it provided just unbelievable fireworks all week long. Right. You know, soft conditions are interesting because there's a few ways to get them. It can be actually raining. And we saw that at the Sony Open a couple of years ago when Cam Smith won. It was it was raining. It was blustery. It was nasty. And the course was soft, but it didn't play easy because you had the actual elements to deal with. But when a course has rain before you get there, and it's able to dry out, not to where it's firm, but dry out to where your golf ball doesn't get wet and you don't have to deal with rain affecting the ball in flight, affecting your grip, affecting any of the decisions you make. It's setting up for a for perfect scoring conditions. You get a healthy golf course. It was lush. I mean, the, the grass was beautiful out there. It looked like it was in perfect shape, and it was. It got better throughout the week. But the defense on that golf course is one wind as mark mentioned two the ball on the ground moving so much you lose control a little bit so you you saw that to a little bit as the week went on where the ball would get going on these hills and two very similar tee shots one may end up in the rough one may end up in the in the uh, primary cut one i should say the first cut one may end up yes. <laughs> in the fairway and so you you that that kind of unpredictability can add an element of difficulty and and it can confuse players but you didn't get any of that this week you got really perfect conditions and when the players were um were able to hit quality shots they were rewarded and quite frankly when they hit poor shots they weren't penalized and when you have that difference i mean you had to hit a really bad shot to hit it out hit it into trouble hit it into a place where you were going to make bogey it was just it it 
you're right. There were really no defenses out there. And then, so what it turns into a putting contest and the guy that looked the best and was statistically, I believe he was statistically the best for the week. Yep. He, he was. So the guy that looked the best on the greens, the guy that statistically was the best ended up winning. And that was Cam Smith. Rick, if I might add to that, you know, I think at times we don't give the players the justice that they do when we get these soft and scorable conditions, because at the beginning of the week, it was soft. Everyone's like, well, it's going to be easy. And then the wind lies down and then you think, oh, well, they're going to just fall out of bed there and shoot five, six, seven, eight under par. But what these guys did, despite the easy conditions, was still special because, I mean, think about this. If you were 20 under par, I think it was, you went inside the top 10. And then there, there were a few guys, uh, I think 7, 37 and 38th position, that, that were shooting 7 and 8 under par. So that, that sort of shows you that, you know, if you get on the wrong side of the equation some and you don't bring your game, it's not like Kapalua, the plantation course, is just giving you birdies. You got to still hit quality shots, and um, you know, I've got to hand it to the guys at the top. Matt Jones shooting one twenty three for two rounds—that's insane. I don't care where you're playing, uh, and uh, that's on a par seventy three course, no less. And then, yeah, the par fives are reachable and stuff, but that was some fun viewing because guys were making birdies by the bunch. Guys were topping each other with birdies with putts made and stuff. So, yeah, it was easy but you still got to play, you, you know, no one's giving you birdies throughout the round. And so my hat is off to, to everyone who, who shot anything deeper than 20 under par for four days. I mean, that's insane. The difference between, again, Mark, just to um, comment on that quickly, I, I'm not trying to take away anything when I allude to how, how you kind of a, that perfect storm comes up, but that's, that's the recipe for the best players in the world to go shoot these kind of scores. That's what that's what happens. And they're competing against one another. And I, I think it actually helped Cam Smith and John Rahm to be playing in to be playing with one another because they're seeing great shots. They're seeing birdies made and it keeps that pressure up. They know that even though the fairway is 80 yards wide on a tee shot, if they make a careless mistake or a careless swing, they're they're going to cost themselves the tournament. And that could have been on the 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 sixth hole yesterday or the the seventy second hole today. So I, I think their play helped energize, helped keep each other focused, and and that kind of competition is what led to um, what led to the records along with the conditions. Cam Smith wins it at a staggering thirty four under par, sixty five, sixty four, sixty four, sixty five for his fourth career PGA Tour victory, gentlemen. You want to take a stab at the other three? Sony, uh, Zurich. And New Orleans. Zony, uh, Sony, Zurich, that's two. The Australian PGA. <laughs> I tried to trip you up. The Zurich twice. He Zurich wanted as twice. an individual. He wanted as uh, a member of Team Australia with Mark Leishman. I tried to throw a little trick question right. at you here. 34 under. I cannot t- tell you guys how impressed I was with this. Not only did he obviously play great golf, but he was our 18-hole leader. He was our 36-hole leader. He slept on the 54-hole lead. He was in the final group with John Rahm, the number one player in the world. He went toe-to-toe with him. Mark, I I, I tweeted this out with a couple holes to go. However that was going to end, I was going to be incredibly impressed with the performance that we saw from Cameron Smith this week. The fact that he sealed the deal is icing on the cake. What an unbelievable <laughs> week it was. It was. Uh, I tell you what. Apart from Cam Smith and Sam Pinfold, his caddy and Cam's family and coach and stuff, obviously, I'll tell you one other excited person, and that's one Trevor Immelman right now, who's like, yeah. look at this guy, how he stood up to the world's number one. And Ram, remember, as they were coming down the stretch, he cuts a pretty dashing figure because he's big, he's strong, he hits it far, and, and he was making birdies, and then Smith was topping him every single time. Didn't back down, and... And so it was a it was an impressive performance from that point of view, but it wasn't all plain sailing, Rick. Because there was a day it might have been Friday that he started off his day with a couple of bogeys, and, and you know making pars with a scoring as it was that can get under the skin and into the psyche very fast. But you make a couple of bogeys and you are flat out reversing versus that field, and and so he he was able to right the ship, um, you know get back on the track, make a few eagles, make some birdies and such. And it was just a vintage performance. I mean, he, he he told me last year at Torrey Pines, 
he was experimenting with a longer driver, and he picked up some yardage, but then went back to his regular length, and, and he was getting it out there pretty good. Now, granted, there were some hills and fairways that would sort of lend themselves to a certain carry, and they would punt the ball forwards. We all know he can putt, but I thought the distance control, the iron striking was superb. It, it was just, it was pure golf from Cameron Smith. And if anything's going to put a, a, a real confidence jolt in one, it's holding off John Rahm head to head for a couple days and not like stumbling to the victory. He made how many birdies over the last five, six holes, Smith? Might have been four or something like that. He birdied everything bar 17. I mean, that is big boy golf there. And I'll tell you what, it was impressive stuff. Obviously bogey free, Greg. Uh, which is basically what you had had to do around the plantation course this this week. Eight under, and I'm I'm trying to go through his round in my head. I'm looking at the shot link. I can't think of a bad shot he hit. I, I mean, it was it was completely in control. It seemed. This is the thing about Cam Smith that is starting to really impress me. Um, I said last night he was becoming a statistic, a, a stat defier, where you know whatever the model says. He's one of those few guys that it doesn't really matter when he's around the lead. He can contend. And he showed that this week. He he led in strokes gain off the tee on Sunday. So he didn't he didn't hit any score. He had 14 of 15 fairways. And I don't think he missed one errantly. I, I think one got, got on the wrong side of a hill and just barely rolled. I mean, he didn't hit it out of play. So um, you're right, Rick. Going through that round, it was impressive. But the totality of the week... He was top five for at least one round in all four categories over one day. So he had a day today where he led off the tee. He was second yesterday approaching the green. He had a round on uh, on Saturday where he was, uh, or, I'm sorry, on Friday where he was third approaching the green, and he led the he led in putting on Thursday. So every day he had something where he was inside the top five, and it was something different. And it, it would never really did he do all of that together, even as dominant as it looks. But there's one part of his game that can be the best in the field in a in a given week. That's really impressive. And there aren't a lot of guys that can do that. You don't even really see that out of a, a John Rahm. You don't see it out of Dustin Johnson. There's usually an area of strength that's clear and stands out. Um, but for Cam Smith, it was it seemed like it was something else that really. The putting was obviously great all week, but it, but there was whether it was um, around the green and wedge play, approaching the green, off the tee game, it, something stood out every day this week. It was, I mean, that that's a well-rounded performance. Yeah, I'm with you, Greg. It was pretty complete. Um, I've I've always sort of pointed out, especially in this modern game, that if you're good with the two straightest face clubs in your bag, the driver and the putter you're pretty well going to contend week in and week out. And he certainly was this week. He did it the irons well. But what I wanted to add to this is like, if you guys would remember Royal Melbourne, you know, in the singles matches where it was sort of nip and tuck and the internationals had the lead and then the Americans came back. He was, Cam Smith was put in the penultimate match against Justin Thomas, who that week alongside Tiger Woods was a banshee, man. He was so difficult and playing awesome. And Smith took down Thomas head-to-head and birdied the second-to-last hole to close out his match. And so to me, to your observation about the statistical defier, Greg, he's the kind of guy that seems to get up for the big match. And he's got that something about him that the the bigger the foe, the bigger for diminutive guy he becomes. And and he said it in his post-round comments. He doesn't never really says very much. Um, He was like, you know, I just try to hit one shot at a time. But man, he's able to gather his wits and do it. And and, and he's becoming a pretty, a pretty impressive force, not just physically, but mentally, in my opinion, as well. I'll cap Cam Smith here with two little nuggets. Those straight face clubs, the driver and the putter. Cam Smith led the field in strokes gained off the tee this week. He led the field in strokes gained putting this week. That will certainly get the job done. And in terms of his confidence after the round, he was asked something like, you went toe-to-toe with John Rahm, the number one player in the world. How did that feel? And he said something like, that's just the state of my game right now. So he is absolutely feeling himself, knows that he is in top form. Let's talk about the top player, John Rahm. Despite, (laughs) this is hard to say, 33 (laughs) under par, 
despite 33 under and being seven clear of the man who finished in fourth, Patrick Cantlay, John Rahm, once again, Greg, winless. It seems like he's got this little bit of like a, it's not a hex, obviously, he's the number one player in the world, but the the win luck, right? When it, when it comes down to Sunday on the final few holes and either things have to go your way or somebody just takes it from you, the win luck, not in favor of John Rahm the last year and one week. <laughs> I, I don't even know what to say. When you're the, it, I, we talked about it briefly. It just feels so hard for him to win, to get the job done. And it's not like, a Xander Shoffley situation or a Tony Finau situation. And whether you, whether you agree with the criticism they've taken or not, typically those players, it, it feels like they uh, struggle down the stretch when they get in contention. It does not feel like John Rom struggles down the stretch in contention, but the result seems to be the same and he, he comes up empty handed. And I can't think of a, a better player to get upset as often as John Rom. Tiger Woods had this way. It always felt like Tiger got himself in position and was able to control the pace of the entire tournament. And it, it there were times when Tiger would win and it would look easy. Like he, and not that he was playing perfectly, but it, it didn't look like anybody was really going to challenge him or le- like you just had, you just knew watching Tiger was going to win with Rom. It always feels like he's running as fast as he can. And there's just somebody uh, a little faster. And it, it doesn't make it. It doesn't make sense. I don't really know how to explain it. It, it has to be just misfortune. Because when I watch him, he doesn't do anything wrong. It, he he's clutch under pressure, as we saw at the U.S. Open, and we've seen many times throughout his career. He does everything right. He the putting is not an issue for him. He makes clutch putt after clutch putt throughout the course of a of a weekend, and just gets clipped. And I, I guess the only thing I have to say about that is I guess that's why they play the game. But it's um, there. There's something going on there. I just don't know how to explain it. <laughs> Maybe Mark does. I don't know. Here's my take, Rick. Um, look, we've said it time and time again on this very show. It's really hard to win on the PGA Tour. But one thing is for certain. John Rahm, he made one bogey this week. One measly bogey. He is by far and away, and it's not even an argument. You, I don't care whether you hit me with statistics or you watch the guy play. From the first club number one through club number 15 between his ears, he is the most complete guy on the planet right now. And my only Christmas wish, albeit a few weeks late now, for Ram is that you just take every single one of these hiccups, because that's essentially what it is, he should get on the jet now to wherever he's going, Silverly Phoenix or wherever he lives, and go, I just shot 33 under or whatever I did. <laughs> you know, I made one bogey. I had a chance to win. There was only one mistake I saw him make in the coverage I watched, and he had an attempt, wow, that, that eagle attempt he missed low on f- uh, 15. That should miss on the high edge if you're really cont- if, if you really feeling it. And then on uh, there was a birdie attempt on 17 maybe also. Did miss on the low edge. It was it was low early off the face. Those are the only two mistakes I saw him make. But the guy is playing unreal golf right now. My wish is that you just keep doing it. Don't stress the odd misstep. Don't stress the odd Cam Smith outrunning you. The the odd who outrunning you. Uh, the, there's a sense of inevitability about Ram right now, and I'm certain. And if I was on the plane with him, I'd say to him, John. I will, you would trade a thousand of these for the green jacket in April, or you would trade 2000 of these for the claret jug at St. Andrews later this year. (laughs) Just keep doing your thing, big guy, because uh, you you are essentially dominant right now. Rick, what, what do you make of that? I mean, he has, he has six wins on the PGA tour. He's got 13 wins worldwide and that's a lot. It feels like it's way less than it that it should or or could be. Do you are you what what do you what do you make of it? Not much. Sa- same thing I kind of made of Tony Finau constantly being in the top five and not winning. It's a gift and a curse when you are that close to winning 
as often as you are. We don't talk about the guys that never get in contention and never win. We only talk about the guys who are constantly near the top of the leaderboard, and we think they're not winning enough. So it's a little bit of a gift and a curse. And John Rahm, uh, to Mark's point, it doesn't matter if you look at the stats. It doesn't matter if you look at the eye test because he's basically the best player in the world by a mile uh, in both of those categories. So mm-hmm. it, to me, I don't make much of it. Obviously, having to withdraw with on a six-shot lead at the Memorial then impacts his, his standings in the playoffs. And those are the two most recent you know, non-wins that we look at. I make basically zero out of it. Yeah, and I want to add to that too. Okay. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry, Greg. I just want to add to that also that – you know, there has one of his wins, the BMW, wasn't a situation where he had his back against the ropes and made some just silly putts to knock off Dustin Johnson, who was the prohibitive favorite at that time. And DJ was looking then like Ram is looking now. But then also, don't forget, you know, David Duval was absolutely dominant for a stage and barely won. And then all of a sudden, the cork opened and he won a bunch. And he won his major championship was the same thing with Phil. I mean, I remember, it's well before your youngsters' times, but, you know, when Phil came out, he was the perennial runner-up or he would miss some sort of putt of consequence coming down the stretch in a major championship. And the question was, you know, Phil, is this generational talent, will he ever win? Well, he's got how many? Five of those things now. Major championships. He's in the Hall of Fame. It's it's a long career ahead of John Rahm. What, he's only 26 how old is this guy? 27. Right? 27. It's, it's, yeah. it's insane how well he's playing. Ridiculous. The the one thing um, I'll point out about some of those comparisons is that John Rahm has gotten – there are, there aren't those monkeys of can you do it. I, nobody questions if he can do it because he has won a major. He has won – he's won in the playoffs. He's won the, the big events. But when I watch John Rahm, I, I see a, a a legendary player. And the hard thing is to reach that legendary status, status, whatever you want to call it, you have to win um, a, a very, very high numbers. The, the number, the count has to get way up there, 30, 40 wins on, on the PGA Tour. And to reach those numbers over the course of a career is not easy to do. And so when chances like this are taken from you, it's hard to swallow. And it, it just feels to me, again, like I said, I don't think that he's doing anything at all wrong. It's just sometimes surprising to me. So maybe maybe you're right, Mark. Maybe there's a, a floodgates that are going to open <laughs> around the um, around the corner here. It just feels like these win totals should be much higher when you watch him and when you've watched him as long as I have than they are. Cause he, he does everything right. This is, uh, Greg, when you were speaking there, you're so right. I, and I couldn't help but think, Rick, that this is where we need Kyle Porter to, you know, Kyle can do his like crazy projection for his like, okay, he's going to win five <laughs> times for the next 10 years and he's going to yeah. get to 56 wins and I'm prepared to bet on that. Yeah, look, there's no guarantees. But the way it's shaping up right now, there are wins in his future. But yeah. again, it comes right down to the fact that, look, it's hard to win on tour and, 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 you know, I'm not saying fields are deeper, but folks are just more prepared. And and there's a lot more parity on the tour right now than what there was in the Tiger era, perhaps. And in the whatever other era you want to mention, you know, Greg Norman, Nick Faldo company. You know, right now, this any week, like this week, we said on this preview show how many guys were potential contenders, right? And that's going to be the case week in and week out, and, and especially in his case, in the events that he will have scheduled this year. So not to hang on this for too long, but do you think that influences w- the way we look at leg- quote-unquote legendary players in the future? Are are those totals going to just stay lower, and the but yet the value of them goes up? This is a, a Kyle Porter conversation, totally. But is a guy <laughs> with 20 wins in today's yes. day and age – going to just be held in higher regard than a player of with 40 wins or or more in a prior era yeah look no, any era rick 40 wins is stupid nobody's I mean, getting 40 20, anymore yeah 20 wins get you in the hall of fame for pete's sake so so i, I think rory's got 20 uh what's spieth on you know he's got a ways to go justin thomas is what 11 or 12 or 14 yeah, i think something like that. yeah yeah, so, yeah, DJ's at twenty, but he's a little he a little bit more of his career was 
um, was earlier. But in the future is is I don't know. Uh, you, you get what I'm yes. saying. It's just twenty is it's twenty is to... the new forty. Twenty is the new forty yeah. is what it is. Yeah, let's say let's yeah. say you turn let's say you turn professional at age twenty. Uh, nowadays with fitness and stuff, you know, you've got maybe twenty five good years if you stay injury free, and you get yourself one a year. That's twenty five. Yeah, I think that's a heck of a career. <laughs> look. That's a that was a great career when Davis Love was playing, and he's in the Hall of Fame. Right. It's a fantastic career now. I want to get to some of these other uh, notable names here, but I want to interact with the chat for a second because there's a question in here that caught my attention. Jose says, what's the importance of this tournament for the winner? Is it a legitimate win? That's an interesting term. Is it comparable to the Hero World Challenge? So uh, speaking of winning, Greg, we'll start with you. How would you assess winning the Tournament of Champions in the current landscape that we have in the world of golf? Um I rank it pretty high. I, I think it's a really stout win. I, I rank it very highly. And um, the thing is with this compared to the Hero World Challenge is this has FedEx Cup points on the line. It's more than just cash. It is a, a deeper field as well. I mean, eight, 18 players is a, a very different field. Um, but I understand where the comparison comes from. But when you're playing for those FedEx Cup points and you're playing for the... Um, you're, you're playing for your seeding and the standings, it adds an extra layer. And the other thing, and this is where I think the Century Tournament, uh, the Hero World Challenge rather, actually catches my attention a little bit more. When you get into contention on Sunday and you're going up against John Rahm, all of a sudden there's a that that's a different test than if, if John Rahm wasn't in the mix and you were playing just against Matt Jones. No discredit to Matt Jones, but that... You're going up against the number one player in the world head to head for 36 holes over the weekend and you beat him. And I, at that point, I don't care how deep the field is. I don't care how many guys there are. You beat the number one player in the world head on. So I, I give it a, I give it a lot of credit, but I do think it depends on who, who finds their way to the top of the leaderboard in a given year. And, and that has a, a big, it changes the weight dramatically depending on who gets near the top. It, it, it does change in my opinion. Well, here, here's this Mark. Uh, I think this is a significantly, significantly better win than the hero world challenge. Not only is it a non invite tournament, but it does have the FedEx cup points. It's twice mm -hmm. as deep. The strength of field is just as strong. And if you remove cam Smith from the leaderboard, still right there at the top in the top five, John Rahm, Patrick Cantlay, Colin Morikawa, Justin Thomas, Daniel Berger. Yeah. I think it's a pretty good field. Yeah. And, and then you look to, um, well, well, first off, I'll say this to anyone who's played competitive golf, you look at the field sheet before you go. Most folks do. And you know what, whether the field's 39 or 139, you're going to be the best guy and you can't penalize a win because it's a shorter field. People earn the right to go and participate in this thing. The hero world challenge doesn't get you in here. So this is a select field. that was very, very strong this year. And, and then to your point there as well, if you look at the honor roll, the champions of this event, it's a who's who of golf. I mean, this is not like you're getting, you know, a random PGA Tour professional showing up here and winning the Century Tournament of Champions. Gee, Whiskers, if you just look over recent years, not even the Ernie Els, Tiger Woods, Paul Azinger, that sort of era, uh, goodness gracious me, there are some class champions here. And, um, heck, Cameron Smith is you know, equally as classy the way he played. Four Aussies inside the top 10. Matt Jones solo third, and he's got some records to his credit now 23 under over the last two rounds the best score to par over the closing 36 holes in pga tour history we mentioned the fact that when he tapped in on 18 to get to 32 under that at the moment was the lowest score in pga tour history of course john rom and cam smith till still to finish but this had to be pretty surprising at least for a, a bit here greg because matt jones that was his first top 10 since his victory at the Honda Classic, which is what, February? So, I mean, that's his first top 15 finish. It, it had not been a lot of great golf entering this week for Matt Jones. And he's a player I really I enjoy watching, um, not just the speed, but it, it's a beautiful golf swing. And I really like the way he goes about the game. Watching him around the greens is, is spectacular. And that's really where I guess the surprise would come in to me. He, he, with his short game, his bunker play, things like that, 
um, when you watch him, you expect him to perform on some tougher golf courses a little bit better. But this week was was a stripe show. And and he putted beautifully as well, but you can't lean on short game when you when guys are getting a thirty under. It's just it, it's a non-factor. Cam Smith, his scrambling numbers are two for two. He missed you missed two greens, and one of them's on the fringe. That, that kind of deal. So you, you can't lean on on short game in a week like this. And and he didn't. He hit the ball beautifully. He's holding out. He's making eagles all over the place. And it, it did surprise me. I, I, he's not a guy I would have selected. He was min price on DraftKings, right? Flat, flat 6,000. And there he is contending for the lead. I mean, 23 under over the weekend. Can you imagine if somebody went out next week at the Sony open and on Friday night, they were at 23, <laughs> at 23 under for, for the first two rounds. It, it's, it's absurd. I, that number is so hard to fathom 61 or 62 61 i mean i'm looking at this last night thinking well he he just shot a 62 to get near the lead he's he's done he's not going to shoot 10 under again tomorrow and he beats it by one it's out of control i i don't even really know what to say <laughs> justin thomas set the course record on saturday 61 john rom matched it an hour and a half later matt jones shot it again on Sunday and Mark, you know, speaking of next week, he's had decent success at Wylot. He finished T11 there last year. He's piled up a couple of top 25 finishes. You, this this might be something, right? You get out there, you get you catch a spark. You haven't played particularly well in a long time. Maybe you parlay this into a couple of good results. The Hawaiian swing has always been a happy hunting ground for the Australians. Um, mm-hmm. Ordinarily, a lot of them would be back home. They aren't now because of the COVID protocols down there. But the golf courses, the grasses are similar. The tropical sort of a feel is very similar to where a lot of them are from. So so it's a comfortable kind of an environment. And when they used to travel from Aussie to Maui, Jeff Ogilvy and Stuart Appleby and company have all won this event. It was a pretty easy trip. Um, so there's always been success, and they all kind of know it. Um, and and for Matt Jones, the word on him has always been sort of super talent, just streaky. You know, he's one of those guys that when he gets going because of the speed he plays, he reels them off in bunches. And then because of the speed in which he plays, he, he it's not like he's the sort of ultimate grind guy. You know, he's not like he's going to calculate his way through a day that's going sour on him. So, uh, so, so this is what he does. I mean how's the, um greg shared the score he made 15 birdies and four eagles in two rounds <laughs> I mean, it's, it's bananas um but but that's who maddie jones is uh if you watch all of his wins he just gets going he makes putts from all over the show he has quality shots and then you catch him on an off week and it's kind of a bit scrappy but the only thing that remains consistent as he plays the game in a blink of an eye, and that's that's who Matt Jones is. Yeah, I love and that. It's like it, when it goes in, it's like uh, yeah. there's another one. I just hold it from the middle of the fairway. <laughs> uh, that was nice, and that's it. It's, it's fun to watch. Cam Smith, thirty-four under. John Rom, thirty-three under. Matt Jones, thirty-two under. Big gap. Patrick Cantlay, fourth solo, fourth twenty-six under par. And and Greg, this was. Uh, you know, there were a lot of question marks about Patrick Cantlay coming into the week. We hadn't seen him play since we crowned him our FedEx Cup champion at the Tour Championship. Haven't seen him play any competitive golf. Picked up right where he left off. Yeah, you could see why there were question marks, right? I mean, he did <laughs> yeah, big question six. marks. <laughs> he, he finished six behind third. Yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm only teasing. <laughs> uh, he was he too was really impressive throughout the week. And uh, what what always what I admire about watching Patrick Cantlay's game, especially when he gets in these fields and is playing with uh, playing with the likes of a John Rahm or some of these other real bombers out there. He has a a real knack for sticking to his own game. He stays really patient. He continues to hit shots. He continues to hit the right shot at the right time and he doesn't force anything. And he just gives himself looks. And some weeks you see those looks go in the way we did in the playoffs last year. But when they don't go in, he's still content. And and this was a great example of that. There were there was one real mistake he made yesterday, I believe on 16, where he, he skull he kind of sculled one over the green. Yeah. And that was the one bad shot I saw him hit. 
that was uncharacteristic. But typically, his ball is flag high in the right place, and he leaves it up to he leaves it up to the putter. And um, and it's a it's a really cool style of play to watch. He he likes to shape the ball. He likes to move it around a little bit, even though it it's subtle. But he flights it up, flights it down, little draws, little fades, and and he just always has a way to get the ball hole high. He's he's a, a really really cool style to watch. The interesting thing about Patrick Cantlay, as it always is, Mark, is that he basically gains strokes across the board, and we've talked about the effects of the non-wins of John Rahm and the beneficiary of those victories ended up generally being Patrick Cantlay. So there's kind of this weird dynamic of his 2022 and what we expect out of him, but I'm pretty bullish. I think he's in for a great year and he started off here with an excellent finish. Well, it's a good comparison to be made because I was watching Rahm today, you know, he he and Smith were going head to head and all of those guys that were sort of in contention this week were re- are really good iron players. That's that's the thing around Kapalua. You've got to putt well from long range and be a quality iron player. But Rama, I watched him play, and I watched a golf swing, albeit brisk, sort of like a Nick Price. It's just very simple and very few moving parts. Compact would be sort of what the average golfer would describe it to be. And then I'd say Cantlay takes that to a different level in terms of something that's highly repeatable, something he knows exactly where the toe of the club face is throughout the action. He's got a wonderful control of trajectory to Greg's observation. And and when you swing it as consistently as what he does, um, and especially given how sharp he is mentally, because he is, uh, he, to me, he's one of the sharpest guys between his ears on the PGA Tour. He's got it all going on. Then you add to that the way he putts. That's a recipe for success wherever he plays. And he's proving that now because he's won on bent grass. He's contended on this stuff. He plays well on the West Coast. He's He, to me, like Rahm, like Cam Smith now and, and the usual suspects, is becoming one of the guys when you're drawing up a short list for contenders in big events. Patrick Cantlay should be near the top of that list on for, for everyone who's got any sort of sense sensibility about it. And and he really got off to uh, this is forgotten about Cantlay. He got off to a really late start in his career because of injury. I mean, he missed like, like four years. He he played. There was a whole an entire year where he didn't play golf at all because that was doctor's orders, right? Doctor said, "Hey, if, if it, it hurts when you play golf, don't play." He said, "Okay," and it was a big gamble. But he's finally gotten himself healthy, and he's finally gotten back to who he was as an amateur player, probably better. Um, but, but he's at that level where, you know, injury isn't the issue with him. He's able to play a schedule. He's able to play a season and you're starting to see his talent shine through those, those injuries. Let me uh, add another voice here to the conversation. I've got Kyle Porter backstage KP. Hey buddy. What up? What's going on? Awesome. Great first event. I loved it. I'm going to give you an opportunity to circle back on the winners, but I'm going to throw you right in the fire here because we're on Daniel Berger at the moment. And it was not John Rahm. It was not Victor Hovland. It was not Patrick Cantlay or Colin Morikawa. It was Daniel Berger who led the field in strokes gained approach this week, which KP should be no surprise. He has not lost strokes on approach since his win, since the week before his win in Pebble Beach. He, we've discussed it earlier in the week countless times that he is turning into an elite ball striker and he proved it in Kapalua, at Kapalua this week. Yeah, you and I have been talking about this, I feel like, all week from Tuesday to Thursday and and up until now. I, I think his performance at Kapalua only uh, increases my optimism about him for the year. You know, and, and again, we talked about this on Thursday. His ceiling might be a little lower than some of the other guys. Might be lower than a Cantlay. Definitely lower than a Rom or a Morikawa. Morikawa's got a really, really high ceiling. I don't know that Berger's ceiling is that high. But the only thing he didn't do well at Kapalua is he didn't putt that well. So to me, I'm looking at these numbers and what he did and where he he finished, what, T5 with JT and Morikawa. And I'm like, man, that is – it's almost – again, it's it's kind of what he did all of last year where it's this sneaky like, oh, Berger was T7. Oh, Berger was T9. Oh, Berger's T5 this week. You know, with an elite field, it just – it makes me really excited about uh, what's possible for him throughout the rest of 2022. 
Yeah, he's been absolutely splendid. He had a couple of good finishes in major championships last year as well. So looking forward to a big 2022 for Daniel Berger. Let's talk about those other two in the T5 areas. Colin Morikawa, it's Justin Thomas. Mark, both of them probably ruining one round of the week. JT shot a Thursday 74 before going 67, 61, 65. And Morikawa's bad round was a 70 that he shot on Friday, essentially losing four shots to the field. Let's start with Colin Morikawa. There were questions about whether he was going to be able to putt well enough to win an event like this, but I suppose when you hit everything to eight feet, you don't have to worry about putting too often. Well, that's kind of the word on him. I mean, he's just got to putt average uh, to contend in any sort of an event. And a lot of his victories we've seen in the majors, certainly, and down there at concession last year for the World Golf Championships event, he putted just solidly. And and was a factor because of the way he struck strikes the golf ball, but but you know I, I like Carl's observation with Berger and and Marikawa and their ceilings. The one thing about both of them, if I could sort of compare them, is that they both take ownership of what they do with their golf swing. Like Colin Marikawa has got a wonderful understanding of who he is, what he's able to do, and he doesn't go chasing down any other avenue. He does himself well. And to Berger, that's the one thing that I so respect about him. You know, he's he's sort of like Furyk in a way because he's got the funny-looking golf swing, took a bunch of criticism about it when he came out because he was decent at Florida State, but, you know, no earth-shattering record about him, but he was just a, a competitor with his own golf swing. The guy had shots, man, and he does what Daniel Berger does. And kudos for him to him for not falling for all the noise about, well, you know, got to tighten up your golf swing or whatever. He's as reliable. I would set my wristwatch on that left to right shot hits off the tee anytime because he's that reliable with the way he swings it. I, I have a question for either Greg or Mark because you guys will be better on this than I would. But I'm curious. I mean, Mark Howe has only played like 60 events in his PGA Tour career. I'm curious about which, when you look at, guys that have that few events under their belt, what are the areas that that could improve the most? Is it is it putting where you're like getting used to some of the greens on tour? Is it uh, situational balls? Like, like, like what areas do you look at with guys that are still so inexperienced and say, listen, I know this is where this number is at. And even with Mark, Mark Howe's numbers are all over the board, right? He's This approach is obviously best in the world. The putting is obviously not good. So take kind of where he's at out of it and just like what's what's the what's the category that you, like at, that you look at with a young guy like that and say, hey, this is the one that it really could improve or increase the most over the next couple of years. Mark, I, you, I'll let you go first here. I, I have a story that relates to this. Well, I sort of, I guess I sort of do too. Um, Cal, here's the thing. As a guy, instructor who's worked with guys at this level, it's a dangerous proposition to start advising someone when they're playing at that level of the game to start making some sort of an adjustment. Because better the devil you know than the, the devil you don't. Now, this is where statistics can get a little dangerous because you can be like, oh, well, you don't putt very well, Colin. And then I can point out situations where the tournaments he's won, he made everything he was supposed to make. So I would say for Morikawa, it's strokes gain between the ears. Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, keep being Colin Morikawa. You know if you find your ball striking for a week and you just rattle a few putts in, you're going to be in contention. Because the one thing that Morikawa has that the statistical or the box score won't show is he's pretty much a closer. And, and a lot of these guys sort of learn to win. You know, you get yourself into contention, you fall over once or twice, you make a bad decision, something like that. Cullen has got this old head on this, these young shoulders, and he doesn't seem to do that. So if I was advising him, and i got to tell you, Rick Sessinghouse is one of the best. He's more psychology than he is instruction, technically. Just keep doing you, Colin. You'll learn the golf courses better. You know your game's good. Um, don't overschedule yourself. Don't go changing golf clubs and stuff for big money. Do you keep doing what you're doing? Because at the clip you're currently on, if you stay on that, it's uh, the Hall of Fame awaits that guy. So um, I read, and I agree. He's got he he should continue. He should stay steady, and it'll it'll lead to really good things. But I read this article. Um, that Ben Hogan wrote. It, it was the letter that Ben Hogan wrote 
signifying his retirement from tournament golf. And in there was a line that talked about how the decision on what shot to play at a given time is, is the biggest difference between tournament golf and, and regular golf. And, and that's the separator between nice swings and champions and winners. And when I watch Morikawa from T to green, I don't think he has any problem. I don't really think he needs to add more shots into, into greens and off the tee. I think that recipe is exactly where it needs to be. And I don't think it ever has to change. Um, I think his big room for improvement is the, um, the arsenal in his short game. What kind of the, the number of shots that he has around the greens. And when you can really develop that short game and learn that when you're first coming out on tour, you watch these, some of these guys like Phil Mickelson and, um, you know, the list of the list of greats on the PGA tour, and they have different shots that you haven't, your competitors haven't played before. And what it allows you to do is when you get in that one situation on the 72nd hole of a major and, and, and you're able to pull out a, a new shot or a shot you've never really seen before. And now you can get that up and down because you've developed this, this arsenal around the greens. Now you become really dangerous. And when Webb Simpson won the U S open at Olympic on the 72nd hole, he had a lie that he had never seen before. And he was asking Paul DeSori how to hit the shot on the spot. And he was able to get it up and down. But the more you can develop that, uh, that feel the, the number of shots that you have around the greens, the more, the more, well-versed you are in handling whatever situation comes your way. And throughout a professional career, you're going to see a lot of different situations and a lot of different moments. And that can always be your savior. So that would be my area of focus. And it's not, you're not changing anything at that point. You're just developing, you're just building, adding to, it's not a, an overhaul. It's not, it's nothing like that. It's just a, a development and continue um, continuing education, if you will. Yeah. Don't get changing. I think I think that makes sense, and I think I think what Greg said about Morikawa is already super wise about the way he plays courses. So there's not like even like if you look at his his strokes game, tee to green or ball striking, really, it doesn't seem like there's a ton of room for improvement because he he continuously makes the right decision. I look at Victor Hovland, Rick, and I I'm like, man, it it actually. I know he's like one of the three best ball strikers in the world. It seems like there's a lot of room for improvement because. It seems like he hits a lot of the, just these heroic shots that turn out really badly, especially in major <laughs> yeah. championships. Yeah. And so I, I think what Greg said about Morikawa and like his even just like stroke scan around the green, even in being able to improve a lot, I think that makes a lot of sense. And that man, that I've heard JT talk about. He, I think he talked about this on the No Lane Up podcast about how when you go to a major and you're like, I can get up and down from anywhere, that's scary because like it frees you up to do whatever you want from tee to green. It frees you up to hit any kind of shot you want when you when you go into a PGA or a US Open saying I can get up and down from wherever I wherever I put myself, I can get up and down. That's terrifying for the rest of the field. Yeah, it 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 really is and plenty of opportunities to showcase that already in his young career. I'll put a bow on Justin Thomas real quick here. 74 on Thursday, he lost over three and a half strokes putting on Thursday and Friday, gained most of it back on Saturday and Sunday, shot the course record at the time, 61. I guess it still is, but two guys tied it. Um, same story that we always see from Justin Thomas. KP, I'm going to open the floor up to you because you didn't get a chance to chat Cam Smith at the top. You didn't get a chance to, to chat Pat, um, John Rahm at the top. You didn't get a chance to chat about the crazy scoring or anything that you saw in the week. So floor's yours, whatever you want to talk about. Well, two things. One, I think everybody's rightfully hollering about the scoring record, which it it's it is what it is. If you look at strokes gained, his strokes gained is it's a very normal strokes gained number for a tournament champion. You know, it's Correct. what was it like sixteen or seven, fifteen? Uh, yeah, almost fifteen. Fourteen point eight. Okay, so fifteen. That's that's. St- standard like that's what it is if you're if you're going to win a tournament that it sometimes even higher than that so it's not as if cam smith's performance compared to the rest of these guys was i mean it was impressive but not any more so than than bryson you know winning the u.s open at six under par 
And in fact, I bet Bryson gained more strokes that week on that field at six under than Cam Smith did at 34 under. That being said, I, I don't even care about the scoring. I care about the fact that he went heads up with Rom all weekend, paired together all weekend. And I, maybe you guys already talked about this. They go 36 and Rom throws 19 under at him over the last two days. And Cam Smith never trails for a single hole. Uh, Rom, tie, Rom tied him. He tied him on Saturday night, but he never led him for all 36 holes, which is that to me is like, if, if I'm Cam Smith and I'm looking at the rest of the year, I'm like, wait a second. I just stood up to number one in the world who has finished in the top 10 in seven of his last nine events. And one of the other ones was the Memorial that he would have won. And I did it in the best field, you know, one of the best fields of the year over the first few months anyway. That just that gives me a ton of confidence going forward. I don't know if he needs confidence, but that should give him uh, a lot of confidence in the future. And then for Rom, I mean, I mentioned it. If you take it back to PGA last year at the end of May, seven straight top ten finishes, or se- excuse me, seven out of his last nine tournaments have been top ten finishes. One was the WD at Memorial. One was the miscut at the Fortnite where he was sick. He's averaging like three strokes gain per round. I, I haven't done the exact. It's somewhere around like just under or just over three strokes gain per round, which is like a, I mean, that's like Stupid. a tiger number. You know, that's like a crazy number. And it's only resulted in one win. So if I'm like, and I was thinking about this during the Tournament of Champions, I'm going to bet Rom to win like every event for the rest of the year. Because statistically, it has to it the that domino has to fall at some point, you know, and maybe it won't, you know, it that's not a guarantee. It just it seems like the odds of him winning are tilting in his favor with how he continues to play. So, I, I think Rom can win three or four times the rest of this year. Uh, par is just a social construct for those at home who have not <laughs> heard that and need to understand that. I've got Bryson's strokes gained number from winged foot. So perspective this week. Cam Smith gained about 15. Would you like to take a guess at what Bryson gained? And what what was it? Six under? How many yeah, strokes and, he gained and, on the And he was he, well, he won by six, right? Yeah. yeah. I, bet, I, bet was he, it? I bet he was 17. <laughs> 22. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Holy cow. This is why strokes gain matters, right? Just going back to Thursday, you know, every every round basically this week, if you shot a 68. Five under, you lost strokes to the field. So it it matters what what else everyone else is doing. Gentlemen, here's what we've got left. We've got to recap our best bets. And I've got a one and done update. And one of you might not be thrilled with the one and done update. But first, we're going to take a quick break and hear a word from our partners. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account. Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. And we're back. Best bets. We were two and two. Greg, you and I, victorious. I had Daniel Berger over Hideki Matsuyama, cash it. You had Patrick Reed over Abraham Answer, cash it. Reed finished T15, Answer struggled. He finished T35, uh, third from the bottom. I'm glad I went with the matchup this week. Um, and I, I didn't know this was going to happen this way, but the top, the top 20, top 10, that kind of angle – was really hard to get this week because you could, when you analyze play, you're, you're trying to figure out who's going to play well. And a lot of guys in this field played well, and it just didn't equate to a high finish. Um, Abraham answer didn't happen to play well. He he didn't play great, but um, you know, some, some of these guys like Bryson, it's hard to say he played poorly, but the finish 
you just kind of get outpaced. So it, it was hard to differentiate yourself. You had to do it on the greens this week. Um, and I think it made it really hard to pick, a, um, a, you know, a top 10, top 20, any of those kind of bets. Mark and Kyle, uh, you guys did not find winners, but it was tough pill to swallow, especially for you, Mark. You had Stuart Sink <laughs> to finish inside the top 20 at plus 188. He was firmly within basically the top 15 for the entirety of this event. He started the final round in 10th. He mm-hmm. shot a 71, fell 11 spots, and your T20, not T21. good enough because he finished <laughs> T21. Yeah, it was a bad Bogey on 17. I, w- I was watching, in fact, the scoring. Um, and then couldn't make birdie on the 18th hole. Um, I, I, I still, I mean, I stand by that bet. I, I, to shoot 18 under <laughs> and finish 21st, yeah, it's a strokes gain thing. But but, but still, I mean, it, I, I look for him to continue the good play because he's he's like 49 years young right now. He's driving the ball as long as he ever has. He's clearly got a whole bunch of confidence going about him. So, uh, I'll, I'll I'll ride Stuart Sink in the future again. That's for certain. Yeah, absolutely. And Kyle Bryson DeChambeau top ten was your best bet. He was 14th going into the final round. Shot a 72. Made a bunch of bogeys on Sunday. Couldn't offset them with enough birdies or eagles. Um, it feels like the problem with Bryson is I feel like when he's not in contention, like this, you might get a lot of these Sundays from him when he's not in contention. Well, he, he, I mean, the problem was the driver. He was thirty third this week in driving. Uh, I think he was 33rd. a little different than last year, right? I mean, that's not what that's not what you were expecting. I imagine, not, yeah, not at all. And uh, I'm interested to see what he does at Sony next week. I yeah, I was I, I was looking back. I think it was his third round this week where he hits one out of bounds on like on the front nine that lost him like two and a half strokes. So he just right. he did some stuff with driver. Like he only hit, I think, seven of, I don't know, fourteen fairways. I don't. Were there fourteen or? Yeah, he, he also was, laid up. He was hitting a bunch of irons so off the tee too, right? This is another good lesson in strokes gained because he was dominant in the strokes gained off the tee metrics last year. I think he gained six and a half, but he was basically dead last in fairways, which you can do at Kapalua. We've talked about this. You drive it into the first cut. You drive yeah. it into the – there's not much there. But KP, what you mentioned is how you lose a ton. If you hit one OB, you've lost like two and a half shots on the field because everyone else is getting all that roll, all that distance. You're just like – it was probably a lot better – off the tee than the stats are going to show, but it still wasn't great. No. And well, even in the third round specifically, it was like, okay, so you lose two and a half on one shot. And then it was like minus 0.3 minus point. Like he was just, he was not driving the ball. He was not taking advantage of his length and he can't finish. He's going to have a really hard time finishing 33rd in the field and driving and finishing in the top 10 on the leaderboard. So that's, kind of what you saw this week hey rick it makes me wonder um i didn't see the numbers on him putting this week because remember we went sans greens reading books this week and uh bryson typically relied on the greens reading books quite a bunch did he did he put any good uh, I know he, basically he a zero yeah he lost a half a stroke so right around zero all right um statistically the three and a third strokes he lost off the tee this week would be his second worst driving performance of his career. Only the 2019 Charles Schwab challenge was worse. But again, the stats are kind of all basically on steroids when you get to Kapalua. Um, Gentlemen, one and done. One and done. We were all basically on three different guys. It was Xander Shoffley, it was Justin Thomas, or it was Patrick Reed. KP, you were in the basement. You're still in the basement because Sia had <laughs> Sia had Xander, you had Xander, I had Xander, Greg had Xander, $170,000. Is this a disappointing result based on Xander's kind of history around Kapalua, his history at these no-cut events, what you kind of expect, a solo 12th? Yeah. I mean, it's like it's like where I, I picked uh, Morikawa at Zozo and he finished, you know, 11th or 8th or whatever it just feels like it feels like the worst you wanted to get out of it so i don't I don't know if it's disappointing but it's just like yeah that was kind of the four okay uh you know we got to figure out we got to figure something out over the next 34 weeks 
Yeah, you got time. Thirty uh, three quarters of a million dollars. Cian Ajad has eight hundred sixty four thousand. Here's the kind of the, the biggish shift here, and it's 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 with you, Greg. You have been leapfrogged by the coach. The coach <laughs> now has two point four million to your two point three million. You also had Xander, but coach wins the week with Justin Thomas at two hundred and eighty six thousand dollars. So, Greg, doesn't happen often. You are looking up at the coach. Um, and that's fine. I, I don't really feel like that's a huge loss for me because I, I lost, if you compare it to chess and I'm happy he's in the mix this year. I, I really am. Wait, if you compare it to what? <laughs> but if you compare it to chess, right? What piece did you lose? I, I, I mean, he lost a, he lost a queen, right? Yeah, he lost yeah. one, one of the most important guys in the, in the game here. And he got 286,000 out of it. So, um, while he won the week. It's it's a long season, and um, I I think JT has better weeks ahead of him. All, all that being said, I I was a little. That's not what I was hoping for out of Xander. I mean, I went with Xander expecting to have a a top five. Realistically, that's kind of your expectation. So a little disappointing, but it doesn't look like too much shifted in the in the world except for Coach passing me. So Xander Xander has. One one PGA Tour win since 2018. But he plays. Yeah, this but he's event finished. Every year. He's, he's got like four straight top fives here. Yeah, you know, I know. And this is this I mean, is I, where like I thought I would, he would secure I, I, a spot for next year. You know, <laughs> maybe he did. <laughs> he probably did. They'll probably change the rules so he gets in again. <laughs> The top of the board, both producer Jacob and Mark went with Patrick Reed. They are basically treading water, 132,500. So, Mark, you didn't really lose anything here, but everybody else got just a little bit closer this week. Yeah, I'll tell you what. I'll take what I got out of Reed, given he was four over par after 10 holes Thursday. And he showed a lot of moxie about him to get that back to one over par in round one and then I think he had a low round of the day on Friday. So, you know, this, these short fields, no-cut events, yeah, what, what he finished, 19th or 18th or 19th? 15th. Yeah. No, it, it's it's fine. Treading water's fine. I it, Not to project because there's a lot of time left, but I'd happily tread water if things remained as they were for the rest of the season. Yeah, 1.4 million clear of second and almost 4 full million clear of you kyle so we got some work to do bud but hey first full field event of the year next week at the sony we'll obviously be back to break it all down but before i put a bow on the century tournament of champions anything else before we get out of here silence and head shaking greg wants it what do you want greg come on hit me with it he wants it i can see i'm I'm looking i'm i just can't wait for the rest the season the season's underway we're off to a great start i'm really looking forward to it so great to be back with you guys we got what 35 or so 38 something like that straight weeks um and it's probably more so i'm happy about it i'm thrilled uh two things speed swing looks different we his, don't need to go into that right now. His but. rehearsal is like it, it. It's it's different now, and it's I don't like looking at it. Yeah, I don't. I don't know what's going on there. And then I need Hideki at some point this year to go highlighter yellow shirt with the highlighter yellow pants. <laughs> that would be that wow. would be sick. First round of the Masters, maybe yeah. at Augusta. Yeah, first round of the Masters. That would be Ooh. awesome. That'll do it. We'll be back on Monday for a full DFS preview of the Sony Open. Mega preview pod on Tuesday. Round-by-round recaps Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. That right there, Greg Ducharme. You can find him on Twitter at the Real GFD. It's producer Jacob who does all the hard work behind the scenes. Thank you, sir. Mark Immelman, at Mark underscore Immelman. And Kyle Porter still sporting that trophy emoji next to his name as our trivia champion at Kyle Porter. <laughs> Taste it, Greg. Taste it. <laughs> Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, but, hey, wait, wait, wait. By the way, I do have something. Yes. The the nationality, the national anthem bet, John Rahm picked it. Cashed it. Oh, no, cashed it. Nice. That's right. Cashed it. John Rahm, top Somebody Euro. The other, the other Euros were uh, Victor, who finished. Victor did not have a great week. T30. Who was the other European? In the Seamus. 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 T15. So no sweat at all, Mark. Congratulations. Can I wrong? Can I help in here? Yeah, please. <laughs> I, I just spoiled it. We got we got uh, something else too out of it too. Wrong. 
<laughs> I actually thought Mark Mark made it a hand gesture just as Jacob hit the drop, and I thought he had said it again. And I was like, I oh my too. God. He said it again. God, I don't hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't uh, we we briefly mentioned this on Tuesday. I don't understand how only three Europeans, I guess four, won on the PJ tour last year. Well, Rory and he didn't so play. four. Well, Rory got two. And there were five. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help. There, him were, out. <laughs> there were five Australians. There were more Australians won than than Europeans. That's crazy to me. Yeah, President Scott, like the baby. fewest number of European winners. Well, you should should you should sort of understand it because it was a drubbing at the Ryder Cup. The Euros weren't that strong this year, to be truthful. Westwood, he had a couple of runs there at, at the bar at the Bay at Bay Hill and at the Players, but otherwise Who, they were in all special. You know what? Every every like third year. They should just not play the, the President's Cup and do Euros against uh, the international team. That'd be cool. I'd love to see that. I mean, why not just add that in? Why do you have to like, take like a year a, off? Yeah, like in high school. Just do it in high school. Do like a three, you know, the tri matches. Yeah. Triangular. We'll figure it out. Yeah. We'll figure it out. That'd be fun. Uh, Jacob, hit that drop one more time before we leave. Wrong. Wrong. <laughs> it's so good. It's actually, the drop is so good. Hey. That it sounds like he's saying it in real time. Like you can tell the the coach one. Uh, give me Paul Casey. You can tell that Paul Casey. You can tell that's a drop. The the wrong one is so sharp. It sounds like he's saying it right now. Hey hey, producer Jacob. Steve Flesh played on the right U.S. Ryder Cup team. <laughs> wrong. <laughs> wrong. Uh, Very good. Salt in the wound. <laughs> Kick me while I'm down. Why don't you? I don't remember where I was. I think I was here. You can find me at Rick Run Good. <laughs> this has been the first cut, and I'll catch you next time.